1: So we're recording a few minutes late because uh, I got pulled over while coming home with my, I picked up a burger and I got pulled over for a brake light being out. So I had to sit for 20 Scott minutes Law. and my burger got cold and uh, the show got pushed back. So every, everyone suffers now because of my own inability to see the brake light out. Well,
0: one, fuera Jason. adjacent. <laughs> um, but two, did you only get pulled over once on this? Just the one time. Okay. Because I got pulled over twice once for the same uh, busted taillight uh, in one 10 minute drive home. It was in college. I was driving from uh, my girlfriend at the time's apartment to my apartment across town uh, in West Lafayette and got pulled over maybe 100 yards out of her parking lot uh, for a busted taillight. And then not three blocks later, a different member of West Lafayette's finest pulled me over. And when she came to my door and said, do you know why I pulled you over Uh, which, unless you're trying, I don't understand why you asked that question, unless you're asking for some kind of culpability. I guess if someone is really high and paranoid or drunk, they might say, because I'm wasted. Um, even though you just pulled them over for a taillight. So never mind. I understand why they do it now. I just talked myself into it. (laughs) She asked me that. And I said, yes, I do. My taillights out. Here's the ticket I got three minutes ago. And she said, did she okay. give you a second ticket? She did not. And it wasn't a ticket. It was a warning. Um, oh, the first one was like, here's, here's the, the thing I got just a minute ago. And she said, okay, well get it fixed. I'm like, I will. If you let me get to the car, to the, to the auto zone, I can't get it fixed. If I can't get to the auto zone. Um, I thought I was going to get two or three more on the drive home. Just, I was on a good pace for it. Um,
2: there's, I guess the cops don't have a lot to do in Western Indiana. Uh, it's really central Indiana.
0: Um, what you, you can call it West Central, I suppose, Indiana. Um, yeah, and actually driving in West Lafayette, I, I learned that as long as you are sober when you're behind the wheel, you can get away with murder huh? because all they care about is drunk driving. I, I've yeah. gotten so many warnings. The best was my, my roommate uh, mm-hmm. around the same time that I got the, the busted taillight double warning. He ended up... Uh, getting a triple warning while driving us home from the bar. And he was he was the designated driver. He was sober. I was very not sober. And I was probably not a great passenger at the time. But I remember everything. And I remember we got pulled over. uh, The the car smelled very strongly of alcohol. And I said, Oh, that's me. Like I raised my hand inside the car and said, Oh, that's completely me, officer. I'm sorry. And he's like, the driver is going to have to get out of the car. And, and he had to do the sobriety tests and passed and ended up going home with a triple warning that we put on our fridge and it stayed there until the day we moved out. He got a warning for speeding for swerving out of the line and no, it might've been quadruple actually, because it was speeding, uh, swerving out of his lane, um, not removing the ice from his rear windshield and not signing the registration in his car, which is also a violation. So he, it, it was just all of that on one ticket that was not a ticket it was just a warning right. um
2: should i tell a, a De- should i tell a debbie downer story or not a, tell a debbie downer story
0: jason do you have anything better than a debbie downer story
1: i guess so yeah it's it's not it's not necessary it's something to laugh about now okay. Um, okay i went out uh i went to adams morgan one year for my birthday and and my friends were already going to be there anyway and i'd already done a birthday thing um the friday night So this was the Saturday night. Um, But this was actually my birthday was Saturday. We went out Friday night for my birthday. I recovered the next day. And then I was supposed to meet my parents in D.C. for dinner. And then I was going to meet my friends in Adams Morgan. So I met my parents for dinner, drove over to Adams Morgan and parked because I had to drive to meet my parents because they were at some – I can't remember where we went, but it was not metro accessible. Um, So I was parked in Adams Morgan. It took forever because it was a Saturday night in late April. It's nice out and – it gets crowded in Adams Morgan. Um, <clears throat> the devil so you say. So I was looking for a space for a while, but I found one that seemed to be, it was, it was like one street over from, from the main drag. And it seemed like a good spot. I went up and down looking for signs that said it was not a good spot. And I saw nothing telling me that there was anything wrong with this parking space. Um, ha. so the night goes on. I can't go, I can't do too much cause I've got to get my car home eventually. Um, so I come back to my car with a couple friends um, who went hard because they could because they found out my car was there. and immediate, They didn't ask, like, will you drive us home? They just assumed um, and it inflicted That's themselves right. upon me, which, of course. Um, you would have done the same to them. Yes, uh, though I will say that they, they got me more often than I got them over the years. Um, but so we go to my car and there are two tickets on the windshield. Um, there is a ticket for 11.45 p.m. And a ticket for 12.01 a.m.
0: Oh. And, being the next day.
1: Yes. And so they're saying that I parked illegally on two separate days and therefore uh, owed – it was like $200. Holy cow. Um, um, and, and the thing the other thing was like I could not find the sign so I actually had my friends uh my drunk friends spread out further as like, go find a sign that tells me at least that one of these tickets is valid because I'm not paying both but i'm gonna I'm gonna pay one if if I actually broke some sort of parking ordinance um we couldn't find anything whatsoever um. But because I, I, it turned into a whole thing arguing with them for, at length, and so I ended up paying one of the two tickets. And they were like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have gotten a ticket 16 minutes later. Uh, that's unfair. We'll, we'll give you that one. I was like, what about the fact that there were no signs saying that what I was doing was wrong? And they were like oh, – that, That's, D- that's, that's DC for it, yeah. you. You can't park there. Um, so that's obvious. Like It's not obvious. It was an open space uh, with no signs. That That's the yeah. definition of, of inobvious, it's, but it-
2: – If you find an open space in D.C., it's probably because everybody knows you shouldn't be allowed to park there.
1: I managed to get out of the 1201 ticket, so at least there was that.
0: There's something. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Not the moving violation, parking violation podcast, although I'm sure that would be riveting if we just did that for an hour and a half. But we're not going to. Instead, we're going to talk about soccer. We could, though. We could. I'm Adam. Taylor. They are Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com where we do not write about traffic violations. Instead, we write about soccer. Uh, DC United, the Washington Spirit, the Richmond Kickers, the US men's and women's national teams, uh, and whatever else happens to catch our fancy. Tonight, we are talking about DC United and Major League Soccer's Eastern Conference. We're going to talk about DC United's third consecutive win all within the span of a week. Yeah, nine points in a week, uh, the most recent one, a two to one win in Toronto. And we're going to talk about it. In the second segment, we will look at the run in for the Eastern Conference and kind of game out a little bit the the some of the different playoff scenarios, there are enough permutations that that I won't claim that we'll get into all of them. But we'll look at at least the, the broader picture before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking?
2: So it is now officially fall being October. And I did fall things over the weekend, like take my young daughter to a pumpkin patch, which was a delightful time. And um, so I went and bought uh, from the farmer's market nearby, I bought a large jug of apple cider that comes from Frederick, Maryland. So it's actual good, real, unfiltered apple cider. And this is some cross-border collaboration, some cross-border harmony that is rare on this podcast – uh, and of course I did what you always do with apple cider and put bourbon in it, but it's cold apple cider, not hot apple cider. I did not have time to mull it or warm it up or anything like that.
0: Did you put any spices in it?
2: No, I did not. Like I said, didn't have and time.
0: My drink is better than yours because I'm also drinking local farmer's market <laughs> apple cider, <laughs> but I have old overholt rye and Laird's Applejack. In it uh so it's a technically a double strength uh drink, and i I put some cinnamon in it as well
2: Your drink is up. more than mine I, I don't know if i would say it's better
0: i i would i would say it's better Jason, you be the judge whose drink is better
2: i uh I don't wait, wait, know. Where, where do your apples where did the apples come from Maryland virginia the district
0: uh new york Mar- washington I, I think this is a Maryland uh, stand where we got it at the farmer's market.
2: Okay. So apparently Maryland, it. Maryland, <laughs> Maryland apparently
1: the, the, the big apple, Maryland, um, <laughs> the big apple cider well-known, well-known by everyone to be the only source of apples in, in this fair country. Um, I I don't even know where most of the apples come from. I know it's probably not Maryland just based on size. It's Washington it, state.
2: Washington yeah. State, and then after that, upstate New York. Right. That, those are were,
1: those were the ones that came to mind. Maryland is a small state. I don't think they've got room to be the number one apple producer. Um, that's
2: what all the, all of Western Maryland is for, that weird part that nobody talks about.
1: You mountains? mean the very
2: small portion of Maryland that is mountainous? Exactly. The part <laughs> yep. that's
0: like three miles wide? That's yep. not for apple growing? <laughs> yep. The opposite of the appropriate climate for mountain growing? Jason, what are you drinking in your Maryland glass?
1: Uh, I have a maryland beer um unsurprisingly um I've got calvert brewing's y rye that's a rye ale um I was kind of hoping it would be a little more punchy with the rye. I thought maybe it could be a little more aggressive um but it is a pretty good beer for this particular weather pattern we or not so much today today was warmer, but the previous days were a little a little dreary this was a Kind of kind of a good beer for that period of time, I think. Um, not necessarily like a super strong or demanding beer um, with a very strong flavor profile, but uh, a little heavy for summer. So it's a nice
2: transition beer, I guess, is the best way to put it. There you go. Speak, speaking of weather, hopefully we're not all blown away by a hurricane before the next podcast.
0: Yeah, Hurricane Matthew will be coming into town at some point, possibly during the recording of the next podcast, when right. I will be uh assuming I, I make it on the show which i am planning to at this point i will be uh coming from new york um where we'll be spending the long weekend
2: oh so but you are fleeing
0: we are we are evacuating for the hurricane in months long plans months long <laughs> planning process to escape this hurricane sorry i didn't mention it to you guys or anyone else that it was coming and you only get a week's notice really a week and a half's notice because this was known late last week um Sorry, y'all. Yolo. I don't think that's how Yolo is supposed to be used, but I'm gonna roll with it. Uh, and we're gonna roll with this. DC United came from behind to beat Toronto FC. What? What? Why you guys laughing? Just,
2: just keep going. Just keep going.
0: Yeah. Don't. Don't look
2: back. Yolo. <laughs>
0: DC United came from behind to beat Toronto FC 2-1 to one, on a brace from Lamar Nagel. They now sit in fifth place in the Eastern Conference, four points clear of that red line. Briefly flirted with fourth place for a little while before uh, Montreal uh, pulled out of their nosedive and, and got a win at Orlando, I think, uh, this weekend. We have to start off talking about Lamar Nagel, who added a couple of tallies to his goal and assist from... His midweek performance as a sub against Columbus at this point, I feel like d c United really has three starting quality wingers, and that 's a great place to be ben
2: yeah, it really is it's it's really nice that you can give Patrick Niarco some well deserved rest for the first uh sixty five seventy or so minutes, and you can bring someone on like uh Nagel. Who ha- now has what nine goals and six assists this season so far?
0: Team's leading scorer.
2: Yep, and it's it's also good because it the it makes the re- replacing Chris Pontius with Lamar Nagel one of the rare deals that actually worked out perfectly for both sides of the deal. Pontius has had a resurgence, an injury free resurgence in Philly, and Nagel has done basically most of what Pontius would have done at. A third of the price so i think half the price let's half not the price let's okay. not exaggerate all right fair but yeah and so you can rotate all three of them if uh lloyd sam needs a rest i mean there's not going to be much resting going forward because this is they're going to all be resting this week and then there are two games and then it's the playoffs but ben olsen has a lot of options and if somebody uh god forbid gets injured or if somebody is out of form he's got Uh, an easy option to go to, uh, off the bench. So it's, it's, depth is always good. And this depth is what forced, uh, Nick DeLeon first to central midfield and now to right back, in which he's done well. So it really has echoes all across the team.
0: Uh, Nagel was one of just a few, uh, Replacements in the starting lineup that Ben Olsen selected for this game, despite some speculation, <gasps> including by myself and, and the I enemy. think guys. Yep. To the contrary, Ben Olsen really didn't rotate too much, uh, keeping most of the starters out there. Jason, what did you make of that decision at the beginning of the game? Obviously, it worked out well um, in the end, but what did you make of the decision at the outset?
1: Um, I was a little surprised. Um, I knew in central midfield that two of the three were going to be guys that were held over because there, there weren't any other options. That's just Um, me. But, uh, you know, I knew, I think we all knew Nagel was going to get in for somebody, um, just to find any sort of fresh legs in the lineup. Um, that's a, a point of strength right now. Um, I was a little surprised that Mullins was, uh, given another start. um, just based on the demands of the last the other two games, um, in the the Orlando game, he actually took a knee to the thigh that required a couple minutes of treatment. I think they actually put a um, some sort of uh, thigh restrictive sleeve on him to keep him going in that game. Um, so with, with that in mind, I did think that maybe he would get rotated out and then come in for the final thirty minutes if United needed a goal. Um, I thought he looked a little tired. Um, throughout the game, a little physically tired mentally. He was there, but physically it just seemed like um, the the effort was there. It just, you know, he wasn't able to play at his maximum uh, level because of the demands that had been placed on him in the earlier in the week. Um, Outside of that, um, I will say, you know, a a lot of before the game, I got a lot of tweets about Luke Mishu. People were very worried about him. People seemed more worried about him playing than they were about Giovinco, which is in, like I tweeted about Giovinco and the replies I got were about Mishu. Um, but I thought he handled his, his end of things fairly well. Um, he avoided the, the mistakes of pre- previous appearances uh, since he's been more regularly getting into games due to the lack of, of um, fullback options. We've, we've been, we've been seeing uh, United really have Mishu as the only true fullback available um, for most of the season now um, as a backup. Right, right, right. You know, to, to replace Franklin or Kemp, he had been the only natural fullback available. Um, you know, the last two, uh, his last two appearances, he made a mistake directly leading to a goal against TFC. I, w- I wouldn't sit here and say he was great, but he did pretty well. Um, all things considered, that he didn't give it was up a, a great, and,
2: and it was a great, I, I assume it was a great rebuilder for his confidence as well. Right, any any he time you, spend,
0: he didn't spend the game in the mental equivalent of the fetal position, which he right. had been in for a couple of games now.
1: Yeah, you, you get to go on the road and uh, be part of a win, be part of a, a game where you know Bill Hamid had to make a couple big saves, but it wasn't like he had to make a ton, um, and
0: none of them came from mistakes right. that Mishu had made.
1: Right, and, and um, and and we have to say it's not like TFC didn't do anything to attack him; they attacked a lot down the wings. Um, which ended up, I think, being a, a fairly large mistake on their part. But last um, – or I, should, I shouldn't I should say last week. I keep feeling like these games are a week apart when they're not. Um, a few <laughs> days ago when uh, we had Duncan Fletcher on, he talked about how when TFC goes up a man, they seem to immediately revert to lots of crosses, lots of long balls, lots of desperation stuff, and they don't really keep themselves together. And in this game there was a lot of pump the ball wide and hit a cross or – uh, go long over the top for Altidore and see what he can do as a target man. They're, they really didn't play through the middle. Um, and and in Mishu's case, what that meant was he ha- he was involved in the game pretty heavily. He wasn't just out there like, oh, I'm not making mistakes because I'm not involved in the game. They're avoiding me for whatever reason. He had to do some work. Um, and he passed, you know, passed the test. I think um, so. It's good for him going forward, and and certainly, you know with the playoffs looking like a near certainty at this point, Mishu probably isn't going to play, but you never know. Um, you know, playoff games. We've seen plenty of red cards over the years. We've seen plenty of other things. We don't actually know when Sean Franklin is due back either. Mm -hmm. Um, so in both of those cases, Mishu may have really needed this game to get himself, uh, You know, back back into his own. You know, back into feeling good about himself as a player, uh, much less into the good graces of the other players and the and the coaching staff and fans.
2: According to Sports Club Stats, right now, DC United has a ninety five point seven percent chance of making the playoffs. Okay, that's not bad. Not bad at all. It's pretty good.
0: I do want to throw some love to Ben Olsen. Uh, after this performance, uh, just because of the changes he did make um, for the second time in a four-day span seemed to pay dividends. Nagel obviously scored the goal. Mishu came through in uh, a test. Basically, Toronto tried to test him, just like Columbus tried to test Nick DeLeon uh, on Wednesday. And the switch to fullback for Nick DeLeon, the rotations that he did make, against Toronto and the subs against Columbus uh, combined for two goals and two assists. So Ben Olson has been uh, a little bit charmed in his decision-making lately. And I think he deserves some, some plaudits for that Snaps? No snaps. We're not doing snaps. This is not a coffee shop. We are not beat poets. We do not snap here. Ben, anything else from this game you want to talk about?
2: Um, Again, it was another solid performance by the defense by Burnbaum and Boswell. I mean, obviously the uh, Altador goal got a lot of the. We'll get all of the, all of the press, but other than that, and that wasn't really Burnbaum's fault. And other than that, he had a really good game. Uh, mm-hmm. Him and Boswell and Nick DeLeon all together, really. I mean, he scored a goal, yes, but they really did a good job of preventing most of the. Possible damage from Altidore. Uh, other than that one free kick that Bill uh, Hamid had to make a really good save on, Michael Bradley was mostly anonymous throughout the game.
0: Uh, and Lloyd Sam cut him out, uh, did him a little dirty with the through ball to Nagel on the game yes, winner. Yes, uh, just made Michael Bradley uh, miss the on that through ball, and it was it was a gorgeous through ball. And Lloyd Sam, uh, he's. I feel like we should talk about Lloyd Sam more, but he is. So reliable and so level, um, and he he comes through with with yeah. you know he, relative he regularity.
1: Have. I mean, he he had the assist and he also had the pass that turned into the the mm-hmm. first goal, um, which all came from staying alive on a corner kick. Maybe he watched the uh, spirit semifinal where he uh, might have realized, hey, no one's going to pay attention to me once I serve this ball, and no one cares that I'm here. Um, right. And I just uh, have to get on side, and I'll be yeah. wide open. And uh, fortunately for United, um, Buescher had the one had the good sense to read that that header was going to come out there because he was unchallenged to get to that ball. And he didn't just settle the ball. He didn't bring it down. He looked up and realized that he could. It was sort of an awkward little pass because he had to you know sort of lean one way and reach with his right leg and sort of hook the ball back in. But he realized that if he could get that ball back in quickly, that's the key right there is not letting TFC mm-hmm. sort themselves out. It's the balls immediately back in just as they thought, Oh, I think we're out. No, it's right back in. Yep. Um, and it's a guy that we weren't marking before because he was out at the corner flag. Um, mm-hmm. at, it really unsettled TFC. It did take a little fortune that Sam's, uh, Sam's pass managed to get through all that traffic. Um, and Eric Zavaleta, didn't just like toe poke the ball away. He tried to settle it for a clearance. I guess he didn't realize that Burnbaum was lurking just barely out of his peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. Um, Another goal uh, that Burnbaum's involved in. Yeah. Right. And, and this is part of when you get into the second phase of a set piece, um, a lot of times you, you can t- look back on those goals and it's like, Oh, it's a little lucky that that got through or that this happened, blah, blah, blah. But you create these circumstances that cause defenses to make mistakes or to not see something. Chaos um, is a ladder. Right. And defenses don't want chaotic situations. They want things to be very straightforward and, and everyone understands what's going on. Attacking soccer, you want chaos. You want things that are, mm-hmm. are unpredictable and confusing. And United from you know, benefiting a little bit from a, a not terribly well-placed clearance, but Buescher was alert and Sam was alert to get himself onside just barely and also held onside by Michael Bradley. Um, <laughs> and Lamar Nagel was um, held on side by Mark or, uh, by Mark Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. TFC. TFC spent a lot of time. Actually, um, we should probably talk about this, too. A lot of time angry with the referee over, yeah, over we, a variety of things, both strong. Josie was cases. very yeah. angry at the referee. Before we, before
0: we transition to that, I do want to shout out a different podcast that might be worth checking out on this specific point about. Uh, recycled set pieces um, howler 's the play podcast recently uh, bobby warshaw and and some uh, some others uh, contributed to this episode about the second phase of set pieces and uh, if you want to hear more on that that 's something to listen to it's it 's quite good and and i I commend you to it but yes toronto f c spent a lot of time with both hands in the air running at the assistant referee or gesticulating wildly at nobody in particular um, asking for calls. And I think of all their penalty shouts and they shouted a lot. I think one of them. Yeah. I think one of them had some merit and it was, it was the the Nagel handball. His arm was extended from his body. I would have no complaints. I'd have no grounds for anger. If was it Mark Geiger doing this game?
2: Oh, you know, it was the Geiger show.
0: (laughs) If, if Geiger had, you know, dramatically pointed to the spot there.
2: Um, yeah, it would have been a little harsh, but ones. it wouldn't have been – you couldn't have argued it.
1: Yeah. Not yeah. as dramatically as Ted Uncle, um, who, who yes. does like a, a, a stomp and point like he is a, he, a wrestler. Um, yeah, my
0: favorite thing in baseball is on really close plays, um, umpires get really dramatic about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it's like they're selling the call. If I punch him out harder, it'll mm-hmm. be more true or if I call safe multiple times, it'll be more true. Um, There are some soccer refs who, who take that to heart. And when it's a close play, they get really into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ted uncle's crazy uh, multi-step dance move penalty call probably makes things worse. Uh, Probably makes players angrier. Um, But in any case, that's not, that's not this game. Um, Right. No, this was, this was Geiger. Yeah. And, and the issue with that penalty, and this is kind of, Part of the problem with the way the, the law is taught to referees now is that he could have been justified to do either thing um, because the play in question, there was sort of an awkward ball. Nagel tried to challenge for it and get it clear. It hit, I think, Nick Hagland and then came back up and hit uh, Nagel. They were like a foot apart from each other. The mm-hmm. ball, it, this all happened in under a second. Um, it hit Nagel made his touch on the ball. It hit Haglin. It hit Nagel's hand and went or his wrist forearm area, um, and, and went away. Um, you could argue that his arm is not in a natural position and you would be correct. Um, according to the natural position of soccer, it wasn't like his arm was bent backwards. He didn't yeah. snap his arm. Um, yeah, that said also, also when argue
0: you jump use your, your arms, yeah, you could also ball to hand. You could argue that he wasn't making himself bigger. You throw your arms up when you jump because you jump higher when you do that. Yeah, the, And the, and so that's actually a perfectly natural position for his arms to be in. And he wasn't trying to... You can't impute um, intent, which is a requirement of for handball. There's no such thing as handball as our, our colleague Rick the Blasian likes to say. It's intentionally handling the ball is yeah, so, the, the crime. Um, and... You right. can say there was no intent there, and that's obviously what yeah. I mean, Geiger the,
1: saw. The, the argument for TFC would be well, he left his arm out carelessly, and therefore care, – carelessly, it counts as intent. If you're not intent on avoiding the handball, it sort of reaches right. into intent to handle the ball. Um, and TFC's argument was you know, he left his arm out there. I mean they probably didn't voice that when screaming at Mark Geiger. They probably just said handball and then some obscenities. Um, but – both sides have a very valid uh, argument because of the way this law is written. It leaves this gray area um, where, in this case, both sides have a perfectly reasonable argument for why it was or was not a handball, which should be something we, sh- we should be fairly clear on a potentially game deciding penalty kick sort of call. Yeah. Uh, in this sport, on but this we one, are. I think
0: we do have to give Geiger some credit. He was consistent. DC United had two handball shouts on yeah. TFC in and around the box earlier in the game, and he gave neither of them. Mm-hmm. So on this one, he was he was pretty strict in his interpretation <laughs> <think> of intent. <laughs> at least
2: throughout. For, for for all his other foibles, at least Mark Geiger is usually internally consistent.
0: Yes. Until games part. get very yeah. dramatic. Yeah. 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 And, and, until, there's, until he's made one game-changing call or just returned from a major tournament. Those are the times when he runs into trouble. When he comes back from a big international tournament, he starts making ridiculous calls for no reason, um, seemingly at random. And then after he makes one game-breaking call, he, he likes to make up for it or double down on it.
2: All right. But this is not the refereeing podcast. And we're not going to solve handball today, unfortunately. Although well, they should just let us
1: solve it. I I will say the the call that Altador seemed most upset about wasn't a handball. It was the um his last penalty shot, which was the most ridiculous of them. Which was one where he ran over Steve Birnbaum and then immediately wanted a call. Well, on um, a replay
0: on that, I actually like was this a away from the ball when he was? No, no,
1: was, was Burnbaum was shielding the ball back to Hamid in like the nineties. And, and yeah. Altidore just charged into him, knocked him over, and then was like, why haven't you not rewarded me for this?
0: Yeah, that one um, That one was real silly. There was another one where he uh, tangled up with Bobby Boswell making a, a back post run like the mm-hmm. glory hunter uh, Josie yeah, Altidore the, is. That
1: was the off-ball one that um, I will say Geiger appeared to look towards his assistant referee on yeah. that one, which was the right thing because he was not looking there. So he, he, he couldn't possibly he's know. Um, yeah. so he looked for somebody else to help him and the help was like, uh, I don't know, or yeah. maybe it was no, not no, nothing happened. Right. Um, either way.
0: I watched, I watched instant replay with Simon Borg. So you don't have to listeners. And he covered this one. He said, if there was a foul, uh, it was Bobby Boswell appearing to pull on Altidore's shoulder well outside of the box. If there was a foul there, it was certainly not a penalty. Uh, no foul was
1: awarded, obviously. Um, Josie Aldor
2: yeah. was very mad most of the time. And that's probably why he was mad on,
1: on that last foul. He's probably just mad because of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you have to realize at that point that when you just run into someone from behind in soccer, you're not going to get anything. Unless you're playing in the CONCACAF Champions League. Yes. Um, that's pretty much the only occasion where that might work. And the this Toronto was not a CCL the, game
0: did Toronto win the Canadian championship this year? Are they going to be in I think so. Concacaf next year or is that not happened? I, until next I don't,
1: year? I don't remember who won it this year. Either
0: way. He's, I think he's, that he's obviously prepping for CONCACAF refs, the Voyages either, in, either in uh, CCL or in world cup qualifying, whatever the case, I think we're done talking about this Toronto game. We will take a quick break and we will be right back. Stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me.
2: Depends. I mean well I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile?
0: Uh I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious, you are. In a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia.
2: I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office.
0: welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast it's time now to zoom out for a few minutes and
2: whoop. i don't know
0: that was not planned i wish ben had not done that <laughs> i'm just gonna stop the show and throw some shade at ben not for william and mary like i was doing when we were off air but for
2: that i don't know it felt it felt right i wouldn't was- we need sound cards <laughs> Sound cards or sound boards?
1: Either. I, I guess the radio way of saying it would be sound cards, but obviously we're, we're past that, that state.
2: Okay.
0: Anyway, we're going to zoom out without sound effects for a few minutes. Uh, so Ben is on video doing, you can't see it, but he's doing hand gestures to signify that we're yeah. zooming out now. Uh, and we're going to look at the last remaining games of the regular season and indeed the playoff race in the Eastern Conference we know the top three teams will be some combination of Toronto FC, NYCFC, and the Red Bulls, um, in some order. We don't know what the order will be, but mathematically those will be the top three teams, the real drama, uh, and as fun as that will be to watch, especially if the Red Bulls don't win the East, uh, the real drama is for the last three spots where at this point, five teams have a mathematical chance, uh, Three and a half teams have a realistic chance at it, I would say. The Columbus yeah. crew uh, are technically alive, but they are, I think, they're, they're a ways out at this point. Um,
2: According to sports club stats, again, they have a 0.5% chance of making the playoffs. All
0: right, so if we played this season 200 times, they would get in once. Yeah. So, uh yeah, so Montreal, D.C. and Philly are all within two points of each other above the red line. New England is lurking uh, four points. Three. or Three points, sorry, behind Philadelphia. Behind the Union, yeah. Uh, four points behind D.C. D.C. United is four points above the red line. Um, so let's just go. We're, New England's on 39 points. We're not going to look at their run-in because they don't really have any control over their, their destiny. Uh, let's start with the Union. Uh, and look at their run; and they're one point behind DC United on 42 points, and they have—they're the only team in this group with two home games to end the season. One of them pretty favorable, one of them decidedly less. So they, uh, after this international break, they will host Orlando City, and then they will host the Red Bulls uh, on Decision Sunday, whatever they're branding it to be this year. Uh, ben, how do you think the the Union will do? over their last two games, because they've had a an iffy time. We talked about Montreal's implosion, but they haven't exactly been great either.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very unlikely at this point that they will fall out of the playoffs, but it would be the most Philly thing ever if they somehow fell all the way out and let the New England Revolution pass them. Uh, I don't think that'll happen, especially now that Orlando City has been mathematically eliminated. So the the purple lions don't have anything to play for in this game. Whereas the Philadelphia union really do if, I mean, everybody wants to get back to fourth. Everyone wants that fourth playoff spot. And so yeah.
0: that said, there's a part of me that thinks Orlando city will be better now that they're not playing for anything. There are some teams that that when the pressure off, they, they play a little bit more relaxed. They, they figure things out a little bit more. They, and, Orlando City has been so bad for the last month that yeah. I think that that might be the mo- now that, most now likely that the scenario. The
2: burden of trying to make the playoffs is finally mercifully done.
0: Exactly. Now they're going to show up, and unfortunately, DC United has one of their two games against them. Yeah. Uh, if that theory holds true,
2: but I, and also Jason Kreis will be trying to figure out his best, his like who he wants to keep on this team for next year because he came in mid-season he didn't make this team so he's going to be so people are going to be playing to impress him and try and keep their job for next year that's true uh and then in their last game obviously uh the Red Bulls will be playing for top spot in the east at that point uh they probably they they, they have almost no chance of the supporter shield uh but yeah they'll be playing for top seeding in the east uh, and definitely want to stay out of that third uh, that third place, so they'll have something to play for. They've been, unfortunately, playing pretty well of late, uh, especially now that Dax McCarty's back.
0: Yeah, not even of late. Re- they haven't lost since, what, August?
2: Yeah. R- really, I wanted Toronto to win the East. I don't want it to be any of the New York teams, but... Well, I wanted us to win on Saturday more. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Those those are kind of at odds with each other,
2: right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, turning to DC United, we will host NYCFC, also playing for one of those top spots in the East, and then visit Orlando, where they have had much less of a home field advantage under Jason Christ than they did under Adrian Heath. Um, Jason, to go off on a tangent a little bit, what's been going on at home? for the purple lions of late. And I'm sure we'll get more into this uh, in a couple weeks, but just as a preview.
1: Um, I think they're being found out more. I think it's not so much a, the change of changing of the guard at head coach really affecting them so much as teams are figuring out how to deal with them at the, uh, at camping world stadium. I was about to say (laughs) the citrus, (laughs) but (laughs) camping world. Uh, Oh, that's an awful name. Um, Well, this is what you get when you sell uh, your stadium stadium name to a company. Hopefully
2: I'm sure D.C. United Stadium is going to have something similarly awful. I I mean,
1: let's hope for a company name that isn't like strange or like, what is that exactly? Where people don't know what the company is.
2: The, the Cincinnati Reds actually have a pretty decent one. It's Great American Ballpark. Their rights were bought by the Great American Insurance Company, but that actually sounds semi-decent.
0: See, I never knew. Yeah, that's kind of a – in some ways, that's actually a failed uh, naming rights deal because I just well, thought, yeah, that, exactly. I thought that they had just named it the Great American Ballpark, and they didn't right. like bother to sell the naming rights. Um, right. As far as DC United goes, though, I think uh, it's pretty obvious that there's a – a, at least some contingent of fans that will call it buzzard point, no matter what the official name is. Yeah. Um,
2: I'll probably be one of those. people.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it'll be a shorthand the way sometimes East Capitol street is for RFK, which, you know, doesn't really need uh, a nickname because there's no naming rights involved. Yeah. Anyway, Jason.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think teams have figured out that Orlando struggles to defend a lot. Um, they struggle inside their, their own penalty area. They struggle um, both defending on the front foot where they sort of press forward. They're bad at that, but they're also bad at scrambling um, as a group. So I think teams have sort of realized that as long as you keep it together and can congest and deny um, their their midfield and, and Kyle Lahren the, uh, the opportunities going forward, you're probably going to be in a good spot to beat them because – you know, if you get into a track meet against them where it's it's back and forth, maybe you've got a problem. They're more used to the, the turf, the field turf down there. Um, but if you keep the game tight against them, they tend to get frustrated. They tend to lose their way. And those defensive mistakes don't go away. So that's really what you sort of re- rely on against Orlando. And a lot of teams are going there and saying, like, OK, fine. Um, you know, this might not be our most thrilling performance, but uh, three points on the road in MLS most – almost every coach in the league, um, including the darlings of everybody. Um, If you think Oscar Pereja is going on, going to Orlando and playing wide open soccer um, and risking what's otherwise a pretty straightforward win for his team, you've, you've badly misjudged him. Um, That's just life in MLS. And that's what Orlando will deal with every until they prove otherwise that they're going to keep dealing with that. Um, and next year, teams are going to go there assuming it's the same until Orlando proves that um, you have to do a little more to beat them.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a little bit like the 2013 to 2014 D.C. United. 2013, D- RFK Stadium was not a fortress. They did the whole reclaim RFK thing, and it was much better in 2014 um, in part. Well, almost entirely because the team was much better yeah, in 2014
1: you Need to be better at, yeah. at soccer.
0: Uh, but but it actually became a, a good place a good home field advantage again and now we're seeing kind of that play through through today where dc Knight is much better at home than they've been on the road uh i think going back to orlando city they're not only it's not just their defense i think when they are at home they feel more pressure to score and they play kind of like the way toronto fc does when they're up a man they panic earlier and they are less patient than they should be. And so instead of letting a letting an attack develop a little bit and maybe finding a better passing angle or a better through ball, they're they're sending the first speculative chance they get. And sometimes they get some chances from that. And with, with Kyle Laren and, mm-hmm. and Kevin Molino and Kaka, you're gonna get some chances. And Matias Perez Garcia, you're gonna get your opportunities, but they are a little too quick to try to force the issue sometimes
1: there's and been a, a lot of emotional that, control there yeah. um with Orlando and not just with scoring but they're they're if I'm not mistaken they've still got the most yellow cards in the league um and and I think that goes to the the players are, that are there um you know Adrian Heath was a big part of that since he was always um out of control the moment the game started um but that roster is still by and large the same and you have a lot of guys on there even some of their newer players. Um Perez Garcia tends to get very upset very quickly if he gets fouled um uh i'm i guess that that's really one that jumps out because he's he's only the the only real new addition that they made mid season was um was to bring him in so um yeah, I think that's a big part of it too is not having that composure to calm yourself down a little bit and stick to what you're good at um and so their their games at home tend to always be very fraught very you know over overly intense and out of control, and that doesn't really benefit them most of the time.
0: let's turn to n y c f c now we'll talk about this more next week in in more detail, but d c net are hosting n y c f c who will be looking to kind of get the upper hand on their cross Hudson rivals now that they are both ahead of toronto f c um, Ben. NYCFC has been a weird team this year. They were really good on the road and bad at home and then not, you know, a little bit more level across. We know they play basically the same way away from home as they do at home with some, as far as trying to build out of the back, it's less of a pinball match outside of Yankee stadium. I feel like this game is going to be a barometer for, for DC United's
2: Definitely. chances
0: to threaten in the playoffs. Um, We saw a little bit of a return of Benny ball in what what some people consider Benny ball against Toronto, where United didn't have a lot of the ball. They didn't create the better chances, but they converted when they did find their chances and they held on at the back. Which team do you want to see show up against NYCFC, and which one? How do you think it's it's going to have to be if DC United are going to make a run?
2: I mean, I think I want to see kind of what we saw against Toronto FC. It was some Benny ball, but I mean, it was some derogatory, what people would consider the derogatory version of Benny ball. I think it was good defense and DC United taking advantage of a team above them in the in the standings at their house and being able to exploit them uh, when they needed to. Uh, I think it was that version of DC United at at its finest. And they need to be able to beat playoff teams on the road if they're going to threaten. So if they can put in a similar performance uh, as they did against Toronto FC, I mean, obviously NYCFC will have uh, David Villa, whereas uh, Toronto FC didn't have Sebastian Giovinco. So if, if DC United can even get a draw in that game, I think they and And they show well, and if Burnbaum and Boswell can prevent via from getting a brace or something, which is what early season d c United would have allowed this year if they can if they can do that i think I think that they'll be well positioned for the playoffs well positioned to maybe make obviously if they win uh I'll be overjoyed, and I think that they might be able for the first time in a couple in years to make a real run in the playoffs. But I'll be happy enough even if they can if they can get a solid draw out of it.
0: Yeah, I really want to win, and for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I want to see this team win a game against a, a good opponent, and I want to see them take the game to NYCFC a little bit because I think uh, tactically that strategy works better for this version of DC United. Um but also you need to win at home in the playoffs and we need to win uh to get a home game in the playoffs to be assured of one. Uh yep. get to that fourth spot. Got to get that fourth spot yeah, exactly. exactly. Let's not do that again.
2: Or let's. Yeah, actually.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh so I want to see United get the win both for the result, and also as uh, I guess a sign of intent uh, that that they really are looking forward to the playoffs and looking to make some noise there. A draw at home, I mean, yeah, it, even against a it, it good wa- NYCFC team, I I I would feel a little bit let down by that, Um, unless it was yeah, a start. draw that was really dominant and NYCFC had. One or two moments of just magic to neutralize 89 minutes of strong work, which is a little bit how the last game at NYCFC went where DC United was ahead and was in control of the game for 70, 80 minutes and then completely unraveled uh, as three goals were scored in stoppage or in in the dying minutes and in stoppage time. So if you control that game, I would feel a lot better about going into the postseason.
2: Yeah, and they may have uh, Marcelo Sarvas back. We'll see how his injury recovery goes. Uh, everyone will be rested, so they'll have a full-strength Patty Mullins, a full-strength Patrick Nyarko, a full-strength Floyd Sam. Lucho Acosta. So, Lucho Acosta will be rested and raring to go, and hopefully told by Ben Olsen to stop being so petulant and getting unnecessary yellow cards. I mean, sometimes they're necessary, but... Sometimes Seriously. he gets very, very unnecessary.
0: Let Marcelo kick people for you. He wants to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. He he's got, he really does. He's been getting blood transfusions from Davy Arno all year. He wants to kick people. He really does.
2: And if he doesn't want to, let Rob Vincent do it. Yeah. Don't do it yourself, Lucho.
0: Rob Vincent might actually have a little more goodwill with the refs than Marcelo does <laughs> at this point. Probably. Also, his English accent helps in that regard. When you want to get away with something in in this country, an English accent helps. Just going to throw it out there. Okay. Uh, Regardless of the individual teams, uh, going to Orlando is not an automatic thing. Playing NYCFC anywhere this year, not an automatic thing. DC United...
2: Especially with David Villa. It just seems like those superstars sometimes just own DC United, like like Javinko has and like others have.
0: Jovinko and Villa are, I think up there with Robbie Keane as far as DP signings that have really bought in and yeah. really tried and really succeeded in this league. They didn't treat it like a vacation or a retirement, and, and they've shown their, their, themselves to be world-class talents. And so David Villa at any moment can score four goals on you. He just, yeah. at any moment, he could just drop several out of nowhere. So you have to be on all the time against him. And I, I think DC United will bring the urgency in these last two games that wasn't there against Chicago, um, but the fact that it wasn't there as recently as a couple weeks ago against Chicago is not a red flag, but a flag that is not green, I guess, to It's not a bunny out of a hat metaphor that's been ripped to the, to is the it edges.. A dope flag? <laughs> I don't think it's taupe, amber. I don't know. It's dark Angel? out. It's dusk. It's dusk, and you can't tell what color the flag is, but you're pretty sure it's not green. That's what I'm going with. That is my tortured metaphor. <laughs> I felt left out last week when you guys did that. That was that was good radio. Is what that was.
2: We try. <laughs> we, we try to honor your honor you in your absence.
0: Yeah, something like that. Uh let's let's look at the the team just ahead of DC United in the standings. The Montreal Impact are 1 point ahead of United on 44 points and they also don't have uh the easiest run in. They are hosting Toronto FC who like NYCFC are arguably more dangerous away from home than they are in their home ground before uh, they do that before they go to Gillette Stadium to visit the New England Revolution. Jason, the the impact kind of pulled up out of their tailspin or their nosedive, whatever aeronautical metaphor we want to use, uh, over the last couple weeks, getting a couple wins, uh, benching Didier Drogba to do so. What do you make of them at this point? Are are they the team that was pushing the top three as recently as a month or two ago, or are they the team that was in a nosedive or are they somewhere in between?
1: I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're, they're out of the the woods as far as their problems go, because the, these wins were at Orlando and then over a San Jose team that basically cannot score and still other outside of a penalty kick save would have been two, two at like the 87th minute or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah one, that's true. Wando,
2: Wando missed a penalty.
1: Right. So um, it was a bad penalty, too. He you know, put a, Montreal won that game 3-1, but they scored in stoppage time after that penalty miss. Hey, don't, um, knock, no, don't knock stoppage time goals. Late goals are awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm knocking Montreal because okay. I don't think they've really fixed themselves up quite yet. Um, or at least they haven't proven that they can do it against a team that's any good. Um, because with all due respect to Orlando and San Jose, those teams are not very good. Um. So
2: that, that's that that's why like they're out of the rest- playoff race right now, <laughs> right?
1: Um. And really, really mercifully, especially in the case of San Jose, who um have been really just unwatchable this year. Um. Big surprise, I know. Um. <laughs> but uh, that game against TFC. I mean, Montreal and TFC play each other. We already talked about what happens when when those two teams are involved in potentially dramatic matches and. Here we are, uh, the 33rd game of the season with uh, Montreal not sure of their playoff spot yet. Toronto's still technically in the running for first place. That game is going to be some sort of... I don't think it's going to be the best soccer game, but it is going to be something to behold. Um, so, PFC definitely needs to get uh, their act together at home, um, which is... They'll be hosting that one, so they'll have the incentive to... Um, Show. I mean, they're on a five-game winless streak at home, um, so they are in dire straits as far as that goes. Um, Montreal, after that, uh, uh, playing at New England. I mean, if the Revs manage to win their next game, um, all of a sudden they're still alive in the the playoff hunt. If I'm not mistaken, and like, well, I guess if Philly also wins, then Mon- then New England would be eliminated because of the tiebreaker, they wouldn't be able to match the union on number of wins. Um, but if the Revs are still alive for that game, um, and let's assume that they will be, that's going to be a pretty awesome, a pretty awesome game to watch. Again, I don't think it's going to be a very good soccer game. Um, but I do think it will be very dramatic and very intense because the Revs have been better, uh, in this, uh, diamond they've switched to, um, whenever they have Kellen Rowe available, he, he missed some time with uh, an illness that kept him in a hospital for a few days. Um, but then immediately came back and was back in the game uh, back playing again. So um, there's a strange scenario, but um, with him and Juan Agudello in the form they're in right now, if, if New England is still alive on that, in that last day, Montreal might be in some trouble and the the union might be in some trouble as well. Um, if that's the case. So, those are two teams that are really going to want to watch New England's uh next game to and hope that they get a draw or lose, because then at least you're you're not having to worry about the revs possibly sneaking their way in despite having been bad for so long this year. I can't can't believe that the Revolution are still at all in the hunt for this. Mm-hmm. Um but they are, um with their yeah, minds. Their next
0: game, by defense. the way, is is on the road, so that's a boon to Uh, the teams ahead of them in the standings and even to the beleaguered Columbus crew who are mathematically still alive and otherwise completely dead. Uh, New England's next game is on the road, but it's at the fire it's in Chicago or in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, So not, not the best case scenario for anyone wanting new England to not just be mostly dead, but be fully completely dead.
1: Right. Um, I don't know that Jay Heaps has any Miracle Max powers, um, <laughs> to, to revive the mostly dead, but, uh, it does have the power to blave. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I will say that as we
2: all know, to blave means to bluff.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, he probably I don't know. A debt to- yeah. I would figure Definitely. it would be a golfing debt though. Like he lost a bet on the golf course, which Not isn't cards, a game no. you can bluff, but maybe, I mean, maybe they play cl- cards at the, at the clubhouse afterwards. Um, as you can tell, I'm a very experienced golfer. Um, <laughs> you know, all about the culture of what happens after you play a round of golf with people who love golf so much that they wear golf pants everywhere. J heaps, um,
2: Cigar- cigars, scotch, cards, golf, etc., yeah. etc. My
1: my golfing experience like is light beers in your your uh, your um, your bag, and then you you don't really even try to play golf well. You just keep playing fast enough so that the people behind you aren't inconvenienced, and that's really it. Yep, and my favorite thing about
0: my favorite thing about golf courses. I played one round of golf. It was part of a scramble when I was a summer associate at a law firm, Uh, and so it was one where four people hit. Everyone puts their ball at the spot of the the best hit ball, and you're on a team with your foursome, and you just hit. Everyone hits again, and then you putt and everybody putts and it's just, it, it basically three quarters of what you're doing doesn't count as a group. And Especially if, you're, if you have
1: one good golfer and everyone else is trash,
0: exactly. Then a hundred percent of what you're doing. I think I had over the course of 18 holes, I had one ball that was the best ball it counted. It was the only round of golf I've ever played. Uh, foot golf, however, is crazy fun and uh, there are more and more courses doing it. So I recommend foot golf. Uh, I've never played football. You get to do 18 holes on a nine hole course. So it's a little bit less, okay. uh, less time just walking, looking for your ball. Also the ball's a lot easier to find as long as you're doing well, yeah, it. In daylight.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 18 holes of golf. When you play normally takes like four hours, which yeah. is an inordinate amount of time.
1: Yeah.
0: And also you're basically playing soccer on a golf course and I'm terrible at putting. It turns out like, I'm okay at passing in actual soccer, but when it comes to hitting a dead ball 4 feet into a hole in the ground, I'm not good at it. I'm bad. You can ask Kevin McCauley. I've played foot golf with him. He's I'm terrible at it. It's hilarious how bad I am at that simple skill. Anyway, uh back to the impact.
1: Yeah, uh I would say the the change with um Drogba coming out has been interesting because um And I think the – I can't remember the record off the top of my head, but their record with him starting has been really bad. And it's not because he's not producing on on the attack. It's that they can't really pressure teams effectively because he doesn't really pressure anyone. Um, There were a lot of games earlier this year where Drogba would like – lead the line in the attacking phase, and then when it was time for somebody to go step to the ball and be the, fr- the forward in their four two three one, he would just sort of linger in the midfield and whoever's position was nearest to him, that person would have to go charge forward and be a forward for a moment and then go back to what they were doing, um, which is not a recipe for success. That's not how things are supposed to work. No, um, not so much. So I can see It would why be great if they
0: started Drogba for the last two games. I think Bielo, uh has... Has come to the conclusion that that's not the best thing for his team,
1: right? But but that has the it would be the best of, it'll it'll be it would be the best thing for our team. Um, <laughs> yes, you you end up with a, uh, an issue there because you've got a charismatic player who definitely doesn't want to be stuck in a super sub role at this point in his career. Um, can you get him to buy in? And if he doesn't buy in, how big of a problem is that going to be? Um, and we're talking about Montreal here, where where clashes of personality are pretty much the norm. Um, so it would not shock me for us to find some sort of unbelievable, like how is this happening during the game? You know, is Drogba quitting the team right now, uh, from the bench or is he trying to take over as coach right now? Is he, is it some sort of mutiny? Um, not a Tampa Bay mutiny, but a a Montreal mutiny. Um, yeah, I I don't, that's a, it's a real thorny issue for BLO and, you know, on the field, it makes perfect sense, yeah. um, but can he keep the, keep the squad together off the field through a season that has already been full of ups and downs for them?
0: Yeah, I think one, one interesting wrinkle is he came off the bench for the, the game against San Jose, which was at home, but mm-hmm. was on short rest. It was a Wednesday game, and then he didn't start against Orlando City, but that was on the road on a turf field. Mm -hmm. So there, there are extenuating circumstances in both instances for why Drogba didn't start that he can't really be that mad about. He doesn't like to play on turf, because he's a human being who feels pain from time to time in his knees, and he's getting older. And it turns out, and I'm living proof that as you get older, your knees hurt more, especially when you're running on terrible surfaces. And... Uh, turf is terrible, and so it's completely understandable he didn't play on short rest or on turf. Of these two games, one is at home after a full two weeks of rest against Montreal's biggest rival. I feel like it's hard to bench him in that game because his name is Didier Drogba. Uh, And that'll be interesting to see what Biello does. The last game of the year against New England on turf completely can see him being benched. So it'll be interesting. Hopefully they, they don't bench him against Toronto. He doesn't score any goals and Toronto beats them and United takes care of business against NYCFC and moves to fourth. That that's the best case scenario. I think, um,
2: sounds good to me
0: for United, uh, like I said, at the the top of this segment, it's a very bunched group. Uh, these three teams in the, the last three playoff spaces in the East. And it's going to be fun to watch them run in because none of them has a particularly automatic schedule. Um, Philly might have the most favorable as far as playing a team. They're the only one playing a team that's been, I guess, United is playing a team that's been eliminated, but it's on the road. Philly's playing that team at home. They're the only one with two home games. Uh, but
2: they also have the least amount of points right now.
0: Exactly. But they're also the furthest back. New England probably has the easiest schedule just because the word Chicago is on it. But they're they're pretty far behind everyone right now for only two games remaining. That said, it's MLS. Who the hell knows what would happen? Uh, DC United didn't win consecutive games or lose consecutive games at any point this season and has won their last three all within seven days, because of course they did it's MLS.
1: Do you guys remember like what eight or nine days ago when DC United was tied with Orlando city on points? Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy to think. Uh, Yeah, Orlando city. And now
2: what we're eight. Now we're what eight points ahead of them.
0: Uh, Yes. Eight points. Yeah. So things happen. Very slowly. And then all at once in, in major league soccer. And I think Matt Doyle was Matt Doyle was pointing out that United were technically in eighth place, uh, you know, a week ago basically, uh, or, or coming into the Orlando game, DC United were technically in eighth place after all the tiebreakers. And then before Montreal played on Sunday, they were in fourth Mm -hmm. over the span of seven days. Um, because this is MLS and it's crazy. And these last games are going to be, uh, wild to watch and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to talk about it here on filibuster. And I think that is where we're going to end it tonight. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, find us on black and Find us on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red you for the website. You should really follow both. They're very different follows. Um, Especially if you're listening while we're or you're following Twitter while we're recording, I think we we do a good job of relatively cryptic tweets that are still entertaining uh, while we record. So so definitely follow us there. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. I think we're on Google Play as well. So if
2: we're we're trying to at least
0: yeah. So if that is your uh podcast aggregator of choice uh if we're not there now we will be very soon mostly though uh when you're watching the u.s play this weekend when you are tailgating for the last home game against nycfc next weekend tell a friend about the show we really appreciate it when you do that we consider it a personal favor and if you tell us hey i told my friend about you and now they are listening um you will get undying love from three human beings and that is not nothing
2: and one podcast
0: and Jasper Ben's podcast pictures of whom may or may not be on the filibuster DCU uh, Twitter. So another reason to follow if you like cats on the internet. Anyway, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason.
1: Goodbye officer.
0: <laughs> I really hope he listens. That'd be awesome.